intermission. All right. Yeah, I think this is definitely going to be two episodes, which it's not like we have a schedule anyway anymore. Isn't it warm? Isn't it rosy? Side by side. She's such a sweetheart. By side. Isn't she a sweetheart? Ports in a storm. Comfy and cozy. Side by side. She never loses her cool. By side. Welcome to part two of our review of Company. If you didn't watch part one, you should because we talk entirely too much and that's why there's a part two. So <laughs> basically, we're talking. Yep. <laughs> Just, it's two episodes, yeah. but we're recording it all at once. So I'm extremely drunk right now. <laughs> but yeah, please refer to part one of our company review. But if you choose to start here, you're crazy. However, company is a Sondheim show about a girl that isn't sure if she can get married. Like act one, this opens with all Bobby's friends kind of just being like, Bobby, like just disembodied voices almost. And then we go into side by side by side, which is like kind of a hot mess, but not in a bad way. I thought that was the longest song ever. I think because it was like connected to the song before it. It's side by side by side, which in the 2006 recording gets broken up into that slash um, what would we do without you? I mean, it makes sense to keep it together because it is still the same setting, the same sentiment. It's just like a very different change in tone and in melody. You know what happens? So they start it as like a parallel of the first act where she walks into her apartment again, but her cake is gigantic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of wondering if like that was symbolic in any way, aside from just like Alice in Wonderland bullshit. In the beginning, you see her, you only see one room of her apartment and it's still very sparse and very empty. And especially compared to when you see Harry and Sarah's apartment and even Jamie and Paul's apartment, like those seem more like real apartments. Like her apartment set is Mm -hmm. just table. And so I think it's the first act, it's to emphasize how she doesn't really have anything. And then now it's like she's almost overwhelmed by what she doesn't have, I guess, because it's just like, it's your birthday. Like, shouldn't you be doing something? Also, they're really kind of heavy handed with the 35 thing. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you were like paying attention in Harry and Sarah's apartment for little things you do together. They have this like artwork in the back that's very abstract, but also clearly spells out 35. And then when they're mm-hmm. on the steps for You Could Drive a Person Crazy, the numbers on the apartments are 35. And it's just like, hey, guess what? You're turning 35 in case you forgot. Maybe you should start thinking about your life. But side by side by side is so sweet. They're, this is a song where they're like, she needs to drink more. We can't get enough of her. Like, Man, if I were 35 and single, it would be amazing if I had friends that would say that about me. I'll keep that in mind. (laughs) Put that in my calendar. Like, your 35th birthday, you need to drink more. (laughs) Is this the scene with um, the maker's Mark Pinata? Yes. So this is like her semi-birthday scene a little bit. So this, like, birthday party kind of happens a couple times. So, again, up to viewer discretion, I guess, to decide how this happens. But it is kind of 
in um, What Would We Do Without You, mostly. Her friends all kind of come, and they're all in, like, party hats, and they're all dancing around, and there's a Maker's Mark pinata that... It's kind of cool how they stage this, because in What Would We Do Without You, all the couples each have sort of, like, a two-seater table that they're at, and they say things like, who would take the kids to the zoo? Who would keep her company when I want to sleep? Should there be some marital tension? It's her intervention that starts us anew. So it's basically like they're saying Bobby is the key to their relationships being okay. Yes. I guess. I know. They're complimenting her and like envious of her for attributes that are definitely like a single person's. Yeah. Well, so you know how also, you were saying how, like, they seem to be good friends with her, but she didn't really seem to, like, be super good friends with them. Like, it seemed to be kind of a one-way street where they wanted her around warm. And this might mm-hmm. be part of it where they're like, well, we like having her around because she'll fix everything for us because she has no other commitments. They're all doing their dances with each other while they're seeing what would we ever do without you? But they're not even paying attention to her. She's on a completely different... She's in the light box and the rest of the company is not. And Bobby's mm-hmm. at first just kind of standing in her light box like, yeah, what would you do without me? As the song goes on, she kind of gets like worn down and she starts hitting the pinata and she looks just like... She's just like, I just want this to be over with. But meanwhile, everyone else is still just having a good time without her essentially even though they're singing about her and singing about how much they like having her around i also remember so like they're literally celebrating her birthday and at one point they put on these like cone birthday hats everyone else put it on the way that like a five-year-old would put on a party hat where like you put the strap under your chin Mm -hmm. but patty wore it like a headband (laughs) it was at a completely different angle with everyone else (laughs) i didn't and i was I was so paranoid that hers was going to fall off, but like some other girls fell off and it wasn't even hers. And I was like, I don't know how she's keeping that on her head. I love her so much. Oh my God. Who changes subjects on cue? Who cheers us up when we're blue? Who is a flirt, but never a threat? Reminds us of our birthdays, which we always forget. So between this song and then the next one, there's quite an important book scene. So we're back to like guy number one from You Could Drive a Person Crazy, the dumb flight attendant. And wow, did I relate to this dumb flight attendant. (laughs) Bobby's like, you're interesting. And he's like, I'm not. I'm stupid. And the only reason why I'm still living in New York, even though I really shouldn't be able to afford it, is because... The city and all of its surroundings and all the things to do keep me occupied and make me feel like I'm less of a boring person. And I was like, isn't that why everyone moves to New York? (laughs) Well, also in um, Another Hundred People, they have these little scenes in the middle with all the other boyfriends in this case. And Andy is just so dumb. He's like, yeah, so when I was little, I knew I wanted to move to Radio City. And I thought it was just like a city outside of New York City. And I was wrong. I'm very dumb. And and Bobby's just like, no, you're not. I mean, he is really hot. So that helps a lot. He's also a very self-aware dumb. Yeah. But then 
she takes him home and he's just like obsessed with her foyer for like three minutes and he's just like wow your house is so nice and she's like yes so the bedroom you like kind of see her like con him into sleeping with her because he just like randomly starts talking about like life and his ex and other crap right Mm -hmm. yeah and then um, she's just like, yeah, 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 I totally get you. I'm deep exactly the way you are. I have the same experiences. Now just sleep with me. Yeah, basically. Uh, <laughs> they fuck and then it goes into poor baby. Yeah, but like they're still in the bed. And I like how this is state. It's a little confusing at first, maybe. Because they're in her bedroom and they're still in bed and they're basically both under the cover. So you can't really. Well, you can see her, but you can't really see him. And you can see her foyer on one side and you can see her bathroom on the other side. And there's two doors on either side of the bed. And as they're just hooking up, then the other couples come in through the other doors and it sort of turns into their each of their bedrooms as they come in. And they'll go through their like evening routine and they'll start talking about like, oh, I'm worried about Bobby. Like she needs a guy. Maybe I should call her and, like, ask her how she's doing and, like, you know, all that. So all the couples walk into her bedroom as they're, like, it's their own bedroom, right? Yeah. But then, like, the women are all, like, in the bathroom. So it's, like, they're just, like, doing their own thing, getting ready for bed. And their husbands are, like, hey, babe, I'm really worried about Bobby. And all the girls seem, like, pretty pissed off. Yeah. They're just, like, yeah, of course you do because she's super hot. (laughs) Well, yeah. And, I mean, that's the other part about, like, gender swapping it because – when it's a girl singing it about a guy, it's like, oh, like, it's very pitying. And here, like, there's that one line where it's David and Jenny and David's like, Bobby ought to have a fella. Poor baby. So unfair. Nothing left to do except wash her hair. Maybe I should call her just to. And Jenny says, don't go there. And it's like, all right, better just stop you in your tracks there. I think they start as she's hooking up because they're like, wow, like she must be so lonely, so empty without anyone to hold. And this because like the guys start the song not in the bedroom, but like on the actual stage outside of the light box. Mm -hmm. And then like as they walk in the light box, their wives join them in the bathroom. Yeah. So like the song actually starts like mid fucking. So it's like it's funny because like it's like wow they don't know anything because she is literally having sex and they're like she must be so lonely so empty like with no one to hold right now and then you literally see her having sex (laughs) this very second yeah which is why like i mentioned in act one like came off as condescending to me because it was like oh we know the best for her like she has no one right now we think she needs someone and it's like maybe Mm -hmm. that's not true maybe she's happy with her life right now yeah because the way that poor baby is sung like they're definitely not expecting her to be hooking up with people kind of they're just like wow like she must be crying herself to sleep every day (laughs) yeah but then in the end they basically judge the guy that she's hooking up with because they're like, you know, no one wants you to be happy more than I do. But don't you think this guy is a little dumb, young, too eager, uncouth? Like, he's young enough to be your son. He's disgusting. I think it's like the concept of pressuring Bobby into marriage ultimately has his stamp of, like, traditional conservatism on it. Mm-hmm. But they try to 
mold it into a way that's just like, we just want you to be happy. But then it's like when she chooses someone that doesn't pass their standard, they're just like, oh, no, 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 we didn't mean that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, we want you to end up like us, just like in a respectable marriage where you're a little bit miserable. Yeah. No one wants Why you to be happy more than I do. No one wants to be happy more than I do. You know, isn't he a little bit well? Dumb, lightweight, what was with the couple that was like, we're broken up, but we're together? I thought that was hilarious. So that couple was Susan and Peter. In Act 1, Bobby was like, oh my god, you guys are so good together. You've got a great guy. If you ever divorce him, let me know. And they're like, guess what? We're divorcing. And she's like, what? And then in Act 2, they're like, oh yeah, so we like, we're going to do this whole divorce thing. And we even like went down to Mexico and got divorced. And then he came back and told me all about it. And we're just having a great time together. And Bobby's like, what the like, We're fuck? great apart. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I guess it's just like that commitment is too much. And it, I guess, kind of ties into Jamie and Paul, where Jamie was so anxious and so um, just like losing his mind over essentially what's just a formalized ceremony. And... I guess for Peter and Susan, it's like this whole quarantine thing where like, even if we don't go outside normally, we still like the idea of being able to go outside. I think that couple showed like an important thing about Bobby, which is like, so pretty much aside from Joanne and Larry, she kind of like propositions one person in all of the other three couples like not like really but like i mean she asked jamie to marry her but then also she's like she's talking to like david and other people and she's just like how did i miss out on you like yeah how come you married my friend and then like at this point they're like this couple like susan and peter are actually like we're divorced and she was like big mistake turn around <laughs> yeah. not mean what i said earlier i'm not attracted to peter this is a mistake <laughs> <laughs> you like Yeah, like, I feel like that's, like, an important characterization of her, too, where it's just, like, she's not really hitting on her friends. She's just, like, Mm -hmm. trying to figure it out. Yeah. I saw it also as just, like, one of those things that translated really well today where a lot of people have been, like, cohabitating and are definitely couples and have been dating for a long time where they might as well be married, but they haven't really done that final step and they like just are like well we're happy as we are why should we sign a piece of paper and like you know have the pay a bunch of money for a wedding like this is perfectly fine and sort of just offering alternate ways that couples can still be together without necessarily making it like officially official and then there's also that line in getting married today where it's like fidelity forever and you don't know which word he's talking about and it's kind of like what is she scared of the marriage part is she scared of the fidelity part like talking about bobby now and at the end you never really answer the question of like does bobby realize marriage is a good thing does bobby realize like what does she realize that she realizes the importance of i guess being with someone else but that doesn't necessarily mean that bobby is definitely going to get married it's just at least she's going to 
like be more open to this idea of a life partner and knowing that this is what that experience is like, I guess. Yeah, I think you see that really clearly in the next number, which is like the TikTok ballet, because Mm -hmm. the thing is, like, her single life right now is fairly glamorous. Like, as far as we know, she has, like, a nice apartment. She's really beautiful. She gets cute guys. In the TikTok ballet, she basically envisions herself leading other lives, um, like marrying different men that have had relationships with her and, like, how her life would have turned out if that were the case. And... In none of them is she nearly as glamorous as she is now. Mm, yeah, like, that's true. The tangible things that are happening on stage wouldn't necessarily be negative, but the way that like they're portrayed. So like the TikTok ballet basically happens where like a ton of female ensemble members come onto stage like simultaneously acting out different timeline realities of her of her life. Mm-hmm. It's like pregnancy's not bad, but like the girl playing her pregnant definitely doesn't look happy either. She just right. looks like a grumpy pregnant lady and then you don't really see her like happily raising a child or anything. So like what I saw from the TikTok ballet wasn't really a, a what if. It was more of like a, oh, fuck, like, I don't want that. Yeah. She's almost forcing herself to see the bad sides of marriage. And she's like, well, this is something I don't want. Like, she's seems pretty convinced in that regard of, like, she doesn't want to give anything up. She wants to live her same life. It seems like she's she views having children as like a sacrifice of her future. I think this dynamic works so well with like being alive as the finale because it's like when she's with her married friends, she's a little jealous. Mm -hmm. But then when she's not looking at specific real life examples of marriages that she believes to be successful and she's just like thinking about herself, she knows that she hates it at this point it's almost like she knows what she wants but then her belief in that keeps getting wavered because everyone else seems to be different from her yeah and this whole thing happens while she is in bed with a flight attendant yeah and i think that helps it transition so well because it's like she wakes up from this nightmare and she's just like i'm just hooking up with a dumbass it's like i'm definitely not gonna marry this guy right which is barcelona which i do not have as strong convictions as Ben Brantley does. Was, I think it was Jesse Green. <laughs> it's just a song. Oh, it is Jesse Green. Yeah. So Jesse Green thinks that Barcelona is like apparently one of the greatest scenes in all of theater. He's like, Barcelona is like a three act play. Not even Barcelona, just like the first two lines of Barcelona <laughs> is a three act play. It is both the best song and the best book I've ever seen. So if you guys haven't seen <laughs> the New York Times like Sondheim 90th birthday special, it's a lot of just essentially masturbating to Sondheim done on the part of the critics. I mean, like Sondheim definitely is an incredible composer, lyricist, but it it is like, all right, guys, you can calm down a little bit well okay so the first line of the song is where you going which bobby asks so jesse green writes where you going a man asks the woman leaving his bed because originally bobby was a man um expecting her to say to the bathroom instead she says barcelona 
And then he's just like, it's so unexpected. Like, wow. And it's like, yes, but like we did spend like the last half hour understanding that she's a flight attendant or he's a flight attendant. So it's like, I definitely was not shocked when he was like, I need to go to my job, which is flying to Europe. Like that seems so reasonable. Yeah. It literally did not occur to me that this was a possible joke slash inversion of expectations until I read this article. Yeah. I still don't think it is. I think Jesse is tripping. <laughs> Reading that article did give me more insight into this song, though. Basically, Bobby keeps asking the flight attendant to stay, but then finally, he's like, okay, I'll stay. And then he flops into bed, and then Bobby says, oh, God. And the way that I took it from this production was, like, she wanted to stay. She wanted him to stay to, like, have morning sex with kind of you know but then he just flops into bed and goes back to sleep and she's like oh my god this is not what i wanted <laughs> like like in like a wow like boys will be boys what a terrible person kind yeah. of way but then in the jesse green article he's like you can see that like bobby says oh god because bobby wasn't actually committed to having the flight attendant stay she was just saying that when the flight attendant actually stayed she was like damn i'm not ready for this commitment maybe it's this production i didn't get at all but that does make more sense to me i think there's a lot of ways to read this scene and it probably also differs by production i do think the gender swapped names does work a little detrimentally here because in the original her name is april and he calls her june and it's like well he just didn't even pay attention to like what her name was he's just like yeah, it's the name of the month um and here it's like actually kind of close it's andy and she calls him brandy which is like mm. a reasonable mistake i think if you had just met someone in a bar or like just hooked up with someone and it's like you know you may not completely remember their name or like it might have been loud and you may not have heard correctly right or like if my name was andy and someone called me randy and i just woke up and was a little hungover like i probably wouldn't even <laughs> yeah. matt doyle who plays jamie mentioned in an instagram live that all the boyfriends names are named after sondheim's actual friends and or former lovers where are you going barcelona oh don't get up. Do you have to? Yes, I have to. Oh. Don't get up. Now you're angry. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Put your things down. We're coming up to the end of this show, finally. <laughs> but I can really have a field day with Ladies Who Lunch. Oh, yeah. I agree that if you just look at the song itself in terms of like its melody and everything, it's like, why is this such a big number? Yeah. I mean, so I think I always had had a tough time with this song and trying to understand what it was really trying to say, because I always assumed it was Joanne looking down at the people younger at, than her. But then you mentioned it does turn into her sort of like hating herself with like the those who just watch. And so I think it is interesting how this, how much this song develops Joanne as a character. It really could be all of that. And the way that I choose to understand this song is like if you frame it with like a Gossip Girl Upper East Side <laughs> kind of experience. 
look at all these yoga moms who think that they're fat and like look at all these girls who are like going to school but we all know that they don't need that schooling mm-hmm. or she's just like i'm me i hate these people but also like they exist and do they have a better life than me like i guess i'll never know yeah we can see her insecurity really clearly from this song because her harshest comment is definitely on herself so like i think here's the girls who just watch she's judging these people so it's like clear that like she's watching them and then especially because like she's drinking multiple glasses of five shots of alcohol during this time and then she says when they get depressed it's a bottle of scotch plus a little jest which is exactly what she's doing Mm-hmm. Joanne as a character is so interesting to me because it's kind of like Larry, her third or fourth husband, <laughs> doesn't see her as any of these scenarios that she's just presented in Ladies Who Lunch. Right. Um, like he's so ready to like accept her as who she is, as someone who is like better and not a stereotype. And she's stuck in her past life a little bit Mm -hmm. you could honestly write a whole show that's basically the same as company but with joanne as the protagonist the conversation with larry after the song because larry says oh joanne is actually very insecure she thinks it's unbelievable that a guy would be interested and intrigued by her every single day and like i'm just fascinated Mm -hmm. by her and yeah like i think everyone in the audience knows that like she has found the last husband. Yeah. Um, except her. Back to the song real quick. Patty Lupone did get a partial standing ovation for this song. Sondheim does say, like, privately, I had hoped that this number would be such a showstopper in Elaine Stritch's hands that the audience would actually get up on the rise repetitions and give her a standing ovation. It was a showstopper, all right, but not quite that big. While watching the show, Getting Married Today was definitely like a standout featured actor solo for me it's the most vocally Um, impressive and and also has a lot of just the right amount of things going on i guess and especially because when we heard standing ovation in my head i was like oh is this going to be as impressive as lauren Patton's you ought to know which both times that we had seen jagged little pill did get a standing ovation So I was like, oh, my God, like, is it really going to be that? Because we already know that Patty won featured actress on West End for her performance in company. And like the question is just like, is she going to do it again? Or like if she wins again, is it because like of her merit or just like because of the fact that she's a fucking legend? Yeah. For me, like it was just not as impressive as you ought to know and even though patty is amazing and like i was very shocked with how well she performed as an ensemble member Mm -hmm. like because i'm so used to seeing her kind of just like in the park and bark role where she's like downstage belting yeah (laughs) but she does i don't think she does as much like like we said like this is probably like a very easy job for her compared to and her other roles she sings like one and a half songs there's this thing about how Sondheim has always preferred actors over singers like he would rather have a an actor who can sing rather than a singer who can act and Mm -hmm. I think that shows through in some of the songs that he writes because they aren't vocally very tough but it's all about how you deliver them which I think also mm-hmm. like plays into why Katrina Lank was a good fit for this, because I think that is kind of how bands visit, especially her character, 
work. But yeah, but I feel the same about Ladies Who Lunch, where I even think in the little things you do together, it seemed like she was doing more just because that song was more dynamic. And Ladies Who Lunch is a much more introspective song. The song almost seems to like be very low key until you ruminate it on it later. Well, like, I think it was four years ago when she did War Paint. She was like, this is going to be my last show on Broadway. And that was a lie. Another chance to disapprove. Another brilliant singer. The scene after Ladies Who Launches, it does change a lot, I think, depending on whether Bobby's a guy or a girl. Because Yeah, you should talk about that. In the traditional guy version, Joanne does this thing where Larry goes to pay the check and Bobby is still joking around with Joanne. And Joanne's like, all right, like, hasn't it been enough time? Like, what are we doing here? Um, Larry goes to the gym on Mondays at 2 p.m. You should just come over or something like that. I think that comes off differently than we mentioned it before, where in this show, Patty's like, hey, like Larry's a nice guy. Like you should just meet up with him with the obvious intention of like hooking up or something. In both productions, I think Bobby is much better friends with Joanne than he or she is with Larry. And it seems like they only know Larry because Larry's married to Joanne. And so the fact that Patty is offering Larry for Bobby to sleep with in the female Bobby production, I think doesn't have the same amount, or maybe it's a different amount of weight than if she's saying like, hey, we should sleep together. But I think both are done to the same end where Patty's just kind of like, hey, if I push these buttons, what will you do? In this one, I think it feels a little more cruel because like right before she, uh, Joanne pimps out Larry, um, we see like how in love Larry is with Joanne. Yeah. In the end, Bobby's reaction is the same where she's just like, oh, fuck, no. But I think it's like a, little bit more of a stretch because yeah like if my friend was like hey you want to hook up with my husband like i would have no idea how to respond to that yeah joanne does say like either she says i'll take care of you or larry will take good care of you and it i think maybe it's supposed to come off as condescending like oh you don't need to do anything because you're you're like a helpless child basically so we'll just have someone take care of you and the only way I could really see that is kind of how if Bobby gets, I guess, almost angry or annoyed enough at being like, well, everyone's here trying to tell me what to do. Like, what if I want to take care of someone? And that's this mm-hmm. sort of like unlocking moment that Joanne is going for that transition to being alive. Bobby's still like, well, what does it get you? Like, what do I get out of being in a relationship? There's that whole beginning part where she's listing all the bad things where she's like someone to hold you too close like someone to sit in your chair like just all the things that you would get annoyed about if if let's say it was like a roommate doing it you'd be like well fuck this person like they're just messing up my life also there are things that if you're thinking about them in like the frame of being in love they're Mm -hmm. not like bad things right like someone to need me too much, someone to somebody to know me too well. It's like in her perspective, it's like, wow, it's terrifying because she's not ready 
like the verbs used in them are very like reluctant, aggressive, like someone to hurt, someone to pull, someone to need, someone to crowd, someone to force, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then like the object that the sentence ends on is always like a fairly positive thing. I think that's why the song works so well and is like a good second half to marry me a little because in marry me a little she's like i want all the good things but i don't want the bad things and being alive is her realizing that being alive has good and bad things and in the beginning she's only listing all those things without that final resolution of like well this is part of being alive she's just like someone is forcing me to care and someone is sitting in my chair and like ruining my sleep and it's not until later where she's like she'll say like someone to make you come through who will always be there as frightened as you of being alive and she finishes that thought of like oh this is what this is all for this is all just to go through it together and to to have someone else to lean on and like they're you're both scared of what this means for like the future for yourself for everything i had heard this song a lot before i even knew what company the show was because like every singer will do a cover of it and in the cast recording which is not on any of the like covers of it you have all the other um members of all the other friends just telling her like you're almost there like you can do it like <laughs> you're getting there and it's it's like they're just egging her on which is also hilarious when adam driver does it in marriage story and then it turns into like she wants someone like somebody crown me with love somebody force me to care somebody make me come through and like she's now asking for that person which is a little bit what she had done in marry me a little but now she's like all right i'm ready to take the bad parts or the parts that i'm unsure about along with all the good parts and i think joanne has that one line where she's like you're not a kid anymore i don't think you'll ever be a kid again and that also relates back to that idea of We're all getting older, but Bobby seems like she's just saying the same age. Somebody hold me too close. Somebody hurt me too deep. Somebody sit in my chair and ruin my sleep and make me aware of being alive. Being the song how the show ends that's pretty great yeah so basically all of bobby's friends are trying to surprise her for her birthday in her apartment so they're crowding there with the cake and everything they're waiting calling her she doesn't answer so they're like all right fuck it let's just leave this cake and they also leave 35 open flames in her apartment which is terrible (laughs) the candles on the cake so Like, it appears that Bobby has been, like, purposely ignoring all of their calls because she's not, like, surprised when she comes home to a cake. She's just like, oh, yay, a cake and no people. And then she, like, blows out the candles and looks extremely content. It's, like, kind of a departure from being alive because being alive, she's like, I see it now. And then, like, this scene at the end of the show, she's just kind of like... Yeah, like, I cannot take more pressure from other people about, like, whether I should get married or what with my life. So I'm just going to 
ignore them and accept their cake. <laughs> Honestly, not a bad idea. So let's, I guess, talk about Tony's assuming that the season had opened as it would have. <laughs> like, West Side Story is the other revival that has opened and Carolina Change, the other revival, has not even started performances which it was officially announced that it was being pushed to the fall. So who even knows if they're going to be competing in the same category anymore. But anyway, I kind of just assumed that company would be taking the best revival Tony because Carolina Change, I think, is a pretty classic remounting of the show. And West Side Story, I liked it a lot, but I don't think everyone did. So Company is so well updated like last season we talked a lot about like like how well tootsie was updated and stuff like that company is well updated all around like we said that the gender swap works really well like all the changes to the show as well as like the staging is very modern the theme of the show is still so transcendent past the setting because it is like just about love and relationships and should you get married and and that has, if anything, become an even bigger question now. You know, people are getting married much older than they were before. Makes it a better show that it's still so relevant right now. Yeah, Best Revival, I think, definitely. Um, We did talk about how we love the set, and it's a shame that it's the same season as Moulin Rouge. So I think set definitely deserves a nomination. Yeah. Maybe something along the lines of direction. Marianne Elliott is the director, and she's pretty much credited with coming up with this whole concept of redoing the entire musical but gender swapped and she was the one that had like worked with Sondheim and all that stuff I mean I guess just depending on how the voters shake out like I originally before reviews came out I was like I could see Eva Van Hove getting the director award for West Side Story because it is also very different and like a departure but now that reviews have come out and they're so mixed, I like have much less faith in that. And and I think just because we have two revivals that are so different from their original forms and because both of them are so tied to their directors, I think that like highlights the directors even more. And then and I mean Moulin Rouge is obviously an adaptation, and so it was kind of the director's job to bring it to stage. And same with Mrs. Doubtfire, but we haven't seen that, so we can't really speak to that one. So it's like those seem like pretty easy front runners, just because also the director's role is more prominent, I guess. So I think like the only other Tonys that we probably really need to discuss are just like, I think we're both pretty sure that both Katrina Link and Patti LuPone will be shoe-ins for lead and featured actress nominations. Yes. I mean, I still think Patti LuPone has a pretty good chance of winning just because based on what everyone else seems to be taking away from her performance and or just because of her status in the theater community. Mm-hmm. Katrina Lank seems to be much more up in the air. The thing is, we haven't even seen the two other major contenders, which are Adrian Warren in Tina and Sharon D. Clark in Carolina Change. But otherwise, right. it would be Elizabeth Stanley and Jagged Little Pill, Karen Olivo in Moulin Rouge. And we also talked about how Karen Olivo and Elizabeth Stanley are probably going to get nominated but will not win. Yeah. Um, and Flying Over Sunset slash uh, Carolina Change haven't even opened. Right. And we didn't see 
Tina. Right. But like if Tina's the only competitor, it's like I mean, everyone says that like the reason to see Tina is for Adrian Warren. Um mm. And I think all three of these shows, Company, Tina, and Carolina Change, were in the West End the same season last year. And it was Sharon D. Clark who won for Carolina Change. I do think with Adrienne Warren, part of the appeal of her performance is because they were like, I don't understand how she does this every night. And she only plays six mm-hmm. nights a week. So, But even then, people are like, that's insane. Like, how does she do, do wow. this? And people were joking about like, so if Adrian Warren w- wins the Tony, does she get three Tonys? Because she technically played all three parts of Tina instead of like Stephanie J. Block in the Share Show. And then it is funny because when the original Broadway version of Company was put on Broadway, that was the one and only year that score was separated into music and lyrics as two separate categories. And then Sondheim won both for Company. So I guess they were just like, well... That was a waste. Guess we'll just keep them together now. <laughs> Company still around. I just still can't believe it's like 50 years later. It's still the same kind of thing. Like nothing has really changed in the way that people date each other. <laughs> we keep thinking that there is like our parents will be like, we didn't used to date like you, but clearly. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Assuming that Tony's at some time happen. What would you like to see performed? Because Raul Esparza Ooh. did Being Alive in 2006. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if that would be like a good Tony's number. I mean, like, obviously, as just like self-fulfillment, I would want Getting Married today. Mm-hmm. I think if we're looking for an ensemble number, like what could be probably easily staged to look fun at the Tonys might be side by side by side. Be like a cut of side by side by side because there's probably no way they're doing the whole thing. But Yeah. Although Katrina Link's being alive I think is great. Like we you've talked about how like she is definitely an actress as well as a singer, which I think um I didn't really get that feeling from the West End recording of like the basically the same production. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to get uh, a cast album oh, with yeah. Katrina Link on it and I would want to hear her sing Being Alive again for sure I just think it might be a little too slow for the Tonys I think if they maybe did like Ladies Who Lunch into Being Alive and I do hope there's a cast recording it seemed like they were planning on doing cast recording but that was also before we were all quarantined because I think again it is very different from the London version, all the actors are different except for Patti LuPone. And even then, I think Patti LuPone's doing a little bit different take than what she had done. The London 2018 version almost sounds too poppy. Mm-hmm. Rosalie Craig almost sounds too much like a pop singer to me. And it's tough for me to find that like emotional core in her performances just based on the album. Yeah, I agree. So... If you made it through, thanks for listening. And <laughs> you can always follow us on Twitter, on Instagram at Bottomless B-Way. Email us at bottomlessbway at gmail.com. And if you want to hear what we're up to in the future, which we don't even know yet, then you can also subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to.